Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. All right. Thanks, Pastor Joe, Pastor Linda. It is uh, great to be back at City on a Hill. And as Pastor Joe mentioned, uh, God willing, I'll be here for the uh, upcoming weeks, the next few weeks. And uh, I started something that uh, Pastor Linda asked me to continue last time I was here. And it's a series, How to Talk About Jesus with Confidence. I think I shared with you when we originally planned this series to do at my church, we called it How to Talk About Jesus Without Embarrassing God. Uh, We changed that at the last minute to be a little kinder. But the point is, many people feel like this poor woman in the graphic here, who when the topic comes up, they just sort of think, well, i got to change the subject. It's been on my heart to equip my people, because here's the deal. I I preach on Sundays, and, you know, it's like I'm talking to the salt shaker. You're the salt that goes into the world, you see. And uh, it's, it's one thing. We can all say the right answers on Sunday. I mean, we can all take a bold stance for Scripture. We can all have a Christian worldview on Sunday. What about tomorrow morning? Right? What about Monday morning? And um, it, it occurred to me when we were having a men's fellowship at my church, and these guys were saying, listen, I'm at the water cooler with the guys at work, and they're in a secular workplace, and it's downright hostile to what I believe as a Christian worldview. And it, it, if I even got close to anything that looked like religion... Um, you know, people would immediately, I mean, there would be an uproar. You could say anything in my workplace except a Christian worldview. Others uh, are students, and this fall they're going back into schools, which have a religion. I'm tired of hearing that, you know, we we need a place that's devoid of religion. Secular humanism is a religion, you know. Uh, We just got to come clean on that. But at any rate, um, that's the state-mandated religion as opposed to uh, Christianity. And uh, as I began talking to these guys, I realized, I I kept thinking, man, who is going to equip you? You guys don't just need like a bunch of knowledge. You need to be equipped on how to talk in those moments. You know, what happens at the water cooler when all my guys are going to work? And and, uh, I'm sure the women's fellowship was having the same discussion. What happens when these women go to work and and, and they're there and uh, uh, the the people that work for them come up and and these women feel, you know, I, I... I don't know what to tell them. I mean, they're, they're my employee, and yet at the same time, I, you know, I'm, uh, uh, how do I talk about that stuff? I remember thinking, how do you quit when they come up to you and they all want to know, you know, what, uh, so you, you actually think, hold on, hold on, you think Jesus is the only way to salvation? Like, what about all these other people? Like, like who wants to be that? You, you're unpacking your, your, your stuff at the dormitory, and you, you're hanging out with your roommate, and there at the first uh, uh, days of college, th- th- this friend of yours who's from another country looks at you and says, so, so you think without Jesus, me, like your buddy, you, you think I'm going to hell? You know, what do you do in those moments, right? Uh, what do you do when somebody says, well, you know, you, you know, I've seen the Da Vinci Code and you know you can't believe the Bible, right? Uh, you know, th- this whole thing's been made up. It's been twisted. And, uh, you know, uh, Constantine, if I heal one more, you know. But anyway, uh, uh, what, do you, what do you say in those moments? I remember looking at those, those guys going, man, who's going to equip you to do that? You guys have to be equipped. And they're all looking back at me like, well, you know, you're our pastor. And I'm like, that's a great idea. Like, I should actually help equip you for what to say on these Monday mornings in those moments. And you're at the park with the other parents, and they say, well, I just, I just don't know how you could believe in a God with a world of radical evil. What do you say in those moments? You have to have uh, not just 
uh, some motivation. I think Christians are motivated. I think they want to say something, but you need a little content. And so my goal in the next few weeks for this series is simple. It's not to give you, I don't think I can give you a sort of perfectly um, delineated point-by-point exposition of a Christian worldview. I don't even know that that would be helpful. Why? Because, you know, you don't, at work, you're not going to get like 30 minutes to an hour to sit down with somebody and fully go through a point. What I'm trying to give you are some tools in the toolbox because so much of the conversation that I hear, it's all sound bites. You know, it's just, it's just snippets. You don't get all this time. It's just people will say something and then just drop the mic, like game over, discussion ended, you know? And I think as Christians, we have to be able to pick the mic back up and go, no, 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 no. That's not a, that, you're right. It's like, well, zing, no, unzing. You know, I, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to unzing some of these sound bites that are just nonsense, but you hear them all the time. Well, I'm sorry. I believe people should have equal rights. So peace, I'm out, you know? And it's like, wait, wait. I believe in equal rights too. What are we talking about here? Let's unpack this a little bit and uh, a a way to engage that conversation in a way that's helped. So what I mean is if you go back and listen to these on podcast and you say, all right, I want Tom's perfectly delineated view of a Christian worldview, you may not get that. Uh, My goal instead is to give you some tools. And I hope that you leave here today with a very practical tool that you can actually start using tomorrow. You don't even have to wait till tomorrow. Some of you, it's not a secular workplace. For some of you, it's a secular family. It's It's a home and you can start using this today and um, uh, hope to give you a little bit of content. That's all. I want to equip you on how to talk about Jesus with boldness and confidence so that when your gay friends talk to you about what the Bible says, you don't have to look down at your feet and go, oh, how about the Mets? You know, you can engage that conversation in a way that, that, that everybody can be built up. Everybody can be edified when people ask about radical evil, so forth and so on. So where do you start a series like that? Where would you even begin a series like that? The first thing I would want to say to you is uh, we've got to be talking about a Christian worldview. We have to be very vocal. You know the St. Francis of Assisi line that gets quoted all the time? Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. I would like to add to that. St. Francis of Assisi said that. Here's what Tom Richter says. Words are necessary. Okay, right? Like, yeah, I get what he's saying. Yes, live a life that demonstrates the gospel. It's an awesome quote. I've used it. But I think we're at a point in history now where it's like, okay, we, and words are necessary. Right? So I want to give you some of those words. We have to be talking about Jesus. Romans chapter 10 says it this way. It's not going to be our focal text. It's just by way of introduction. Romans 10 is very simple. Listen, if you believe in your heart that Jesus, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? And it goes on to talk about why. For with your heart, you believe and are justified. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. It says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's so awesome. And then it says faith comes by hearing. Hearing, hearing by the word of God, but how will they hear without a preacher? How are they going to hear without a preacher? And by the way, that, that verse in Romans 10, I'm not the preacher it's talking about. You are. You can reach people I cannot reach. You are the preacher. As I said, I'm, I'm sort of preaching to the choir on Sundays. You're rubbing shoulders with men and women who desperately need to hear the good news. So we have got to be talking about Jesus. And we're going to talk about why it's so serious in, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 12 to talk about, just to kind of start this series, how to talk about Jesus with confidence, that we have to be talking about Jesus. Confidence or not, even if you're bad at it, we have to be sharing about Jesus. I, I can't find the thing, so you can just uh, uh, scroll through the verses there as I go. I, I've put them up here on the screen. I hope you're turning there in Luke 12. While you're, while you're turning there, I, uh, I met a funny guy a couple weeks ago in Alabama. He's, uh, I don't know how else to say this. He's a, he's a coffee 
evangelist. I really, I don't know what else to say. This guy was so into coffee. And uh, he, ha- he was the owner of a coffee shop and was moving shops. He was kind of in between. So he had all this equipment. And I was down there to speak for this weekend conference. And he found out that I, I enjoy coffee. I mean, let's don't call it an addiction. Let's call it I appreciate coffee, right? Uh, my wife sees me in there with all my stuff. She's like, what is this, a meth lab? Like, what are you doing in here? I'm like, I'm making the perfect cup of coffee. You know, gas mask. Anyway, she says, so, so she would say, I'm, I'm really into coffee, you understand? Uh, and this guy finds out about this, but it didn't matter that I was into it. This guy, it was unbelievable. He was sharing with everybody. Oh, oh, the, you got to do a coffee just like this, and you got to do it this way. And oh, my goodness, if he found out that you'd been using a Correg machine, he would literally rent his clothing, you know? And if you told him, oh, actually, I use Instant, he'd be like, blasphemy! I mean, it would explode, right? Why? He would say, you've never had, you have never even had a cup of coffee. He would like, like, he was so passionate about the perfect, he's like, the reason you have to use cream and sugar is because you think it's bitter. It's not supposed to be bitter. Here, taste this. He was like forcing it down people's throat and no one minded. Why? Because this guy was delightful. He was so passionate. I mean, he would go into, no, this is Madagascar white tea and, you know, and this, oh, these beans, ah, this, these beans were picked by a man with one leg and you can taste the limp or whatever. Like, I, craziness. So he's got all his equipment out and he's teaching me. He's like, now this is the AeroPress and this is the Chemex. And he's showing me all these different ways. Everybody's into it. He invites everybody over. This is frozen hot chocolate. He's having a blast. He's sharing. There was this kind of communal moment of excitement sharing in this guy's passion. He was a coffee evangelist. The guy was so touched. He, he wanted everybody, everybody in the world is drinking bad coffee. And I, I have the answer. And I can show them. It's like when New Yorkers go down south and somebody goes, uh, somebody from uh, Kentucky goes, well, I don't like bagels. I've had Linder's bagels. They're frozen. I don't like them. You're like, raw. you've never had a bagel in your life. Import some New York water. I'll show you. You know, they go crazy. Why? Because they've got this great joy. And they're going, you, dude, you have got, just try. my joy is not complete until you see this as how good it is, right? Now, here's the deal. If this guy goes through all that stuff, I mean, he's delightful. And if this guy, nobody resented him. If he goes through all this stuff and you still don't like coffee, life goes on. You follow me? Who cares? There's always tea. (laughs) Our passion is Jesus, okay? And if somebody at the end of all this goes, well, I'm still not in Jesus. I still reject those claims. Listen, life doesn't go on. It's life or death. This isn't coffee evangelism. This is eternal life evangelism. And so the only way I could think to start the series, I, it's going to sound harsh because it is. Like it's going to sound deadly serious. Can I say that? Jesus was deadly serious in Luke 12. This was his encouragement when he sent his disciples out. He's about to send them out. You remember this, right? And he's given them these instructions on basically how to talk about Jesus with confidence. I mean, this is how he started this series, if you will. Start in verse 1. One through three, he's kind of still riffing on the Pharisees. I won't take time to go all the way into this, but but just to set it up. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you've whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Now, now, now what's he saying here? Uh, proclaimed from the, the housetops, maybe, in that version. Now, what, what's he saying here? Um, 
he's, he's, this is sort of some residual stuff he'd been saying about the Pharisees. All the point I want to make is that everything that's hidden is going to one day come to light. It's all going to be made known. And the Pharisees, they say hypocrisy. I, you know, I don't know if we really understand hypocrisy. We always say hypocrisy is saying one thing and doing another. I don't know that that's technically hypocrisy. That's just being a human being. I mean, we, atheists do that. Everybody does that. We say we're going to eat right and diet, and then we go to McDonald's, right? Uh, th- th- I think hypocrisy is something deeper. I think hypocrisy is saying you believe something. But in your inner room, in the dark, you really don't believe it anymore. It's the pro- proclaiming to believe that I'm living in a certain direction, but I don't even believe anymore. And of course, that shows up in its actions. But at its heart, a hypocritical heart is something that's, yeah, I believe all these claims, but inside. And one day, what he's saying is, all that stuff's going to be known. And there's going to be great surprises, aren't there? Let me just read 4 through 12. And uh, maybe, maybe just follow along. I'll read them all, and then I'll go back and dissect them verse by verse. I'll just read them all, though. <clears throat> Starting in verse 4. And I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body, and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has the authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them's forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. And I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. Now, there's probably 25 sermons in that text. I mean, there's so many uh, uh, really juicy text that you want to uh, break apart. <clears throat> I want to uh, just go back verse four. There it is. Uh, uh, and let's just take them uh, one at a time and walk through why and how to begin talking about Jesus with confidence. The first thing Jesus says to you, and I say to you, my friends, don't miss that. This are Jesus's friends. These are his disciples. This is his crew. These were Jesus's boys. I just called the 12 disciples Jesus' boys, right? Okay, I did that. That happened. And I, but my point is he loves them. And out of this great love, he's saying, all right, I'm going I'm to build you up. I'm going to give you a, a speech that's going to pump you up. It's going to fill you. And, and these are his friends. It's very important. He loves them. And this is his advice. This is what he says. Don't fear those. Oh, listen, the worst. Th- I'm going to send you out there and it's going to be bad. But listen, listen, listen. The worst they can do is kill you. Okay, exactly, right? To which you know, you know, somebody had to be like, I have a question. <laughs> I know when you say the worst they can do is kill us, that seems bad, right? And yet the way Jesus puts it, it's a matter of perspective. He says, don't fear those who kill the body. And after that, can do nothing more. Didn't James just preach about? Uh, didn't James just preach about a, a Paul in Philippians, happiest book in the Bible? Remember that at the end of your life. What do you do with a guy like Paul? What can you do? Really, what can you do, Paul? We're going to throw you in jail if you don't quit preaching. Awesome! I can share with the people in jail. It's great. It's a promotion, right? No, seriously, we're going to kill you. Awesome to be uh, 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 for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? Now what? How do, you, how do you stop a guy like that who gets this correctly? And, and Jesus is saying, listen, the worst thing that can happen to a human being is not death. 
Did you know that? The worst thing that can happen to you is not death. In our culture, we deny death, and we do everything to either pretend it doesn't exist or to never talk about it or to, at all points, defeat it, right? I'm going to live healthy. I'm going to push this back. I'm never going to die. Jesus is saying the worst thing that can happen to you is not death. Death is sad. We're separated from our loved one. The worst thing that can happen to a person is not death. It's to be separated from God. That's the worst thing that can happen to a human being. So what does Jesus say? Jesus says, hey, don't fear those. Let's put this in perspective. Don't fear those who can just kill the body. What do you do with Paul's dead body? It's already dead. Yeah, well, let's punch it some more. He doesn't care, okay? He's with Christ. Don't fear those who kill the body, but I'll show you the one to fear. I love this. Get some perspective, guys. Fear the one who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. He's saying get some perspective about your fear. Fear is often just a matter of perspective. Some of you are afraid of heights, right? Uh, How many of you, if you went to Manhattan and you were hanging out at your friend's apartment and it was on the 55th floor, right? How many of you would lay a plank across 49th Street to the building on the other side on the 55th floor, right? And then just make your way across. No net, no bungee, nothing. Even as I'm describing that, some of your palms are sweating, right? Look at you. I'm so sorry. Oh, and by the way, there's spiders on the plank. I don't know. I was just, not really. I was just trying to hit on all the fears, right? Okay. Now you're going across, you're going across, you're, you're making your way across a plank, 55 stories up, traffic below. How many of you would do that? I hope the answer is nothing, right? Okay. Now, same scenario. You're there, but the apartment's on fire. There's no way out. And as the, the heat gets closer, you suddenly realize the heat is not what you're most scared of. You can't breathe. And you've hit the ground because you remember that, right? The, the, right? But still, you're running out of breath. And suddenly, your neighbor from across hits that plank and it lands perfectly in your windowsill. Maybe it crashes through the glass, whatever. But there it is. There it is. There's hope. There's hope right there. All you have to do, right? Now, you're scared to death of heights. But you know what you're even more scared of? That whole raging fire that's about to consume you and the whole building, right? Now, you getting across? You sure are. In fact, some of you did this thing in your mind just now. You didn't even know you did it. But when I described going across the first time, you imagined this, right? But just now, you're like this. You're just figuring out a way over. You're just doing it. Exactly. That's exactly right. What changed? Perspective. A larger fear seemed to have subsumed your minor fear, making the minor fear pointless. Okay? Now, what Jesus is saying here is, look, look, look. Yes, Uh, People can do all kinds of horrible things to other people. And just for the record, you are probably not going to be killed for sharing Jesus at the uh, at the water cooler, at the coffee pot, at your. uh, I mean, if you were sharing Jesus with my coffee evangelist, you might get killed because it's bad coffee. But most likely, you are not going to be killed for sharing your faith. These guys might have been. Some of them, in fact, eventually were. But Jesus is saying, look, look, look. yes, humans can do all kinds of terrible things. But uh, uh, there is a great consuming fire. And that's the one to fear. Give your fear a matter of perspective. I don't know what else to say. This sounds like such a harsh word, but it's true. Fear the one who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Like, how else can I say that? Jesus is saying, listen, listen, hell is real. And uh, uh, C.S. Lewis says, in the end, there's only two kinds of people in the world. Those who look to God and say, thy will be done. Or those to whom God looks at and says, thy will be done. If you reject me and you want a place where there is no me, that's hell. What else can be done? That's the one to fear. 
Uh, I remember in um, another C.S. Lewis book, in the Chronicles of Narnia, when the kids meet Aslan for the first time, Aslan is a lion. In the books, it's a metaphor. He represents Christ, and Aslan is this mighty lion. He's ferocious, right, with the the big paws and the pointy teeth and the jaws, and, you know, it's like, he's going to eat us. And so the kids ask each other. They're terrified. They're like, that's Aslan? Yeah. And they're like, "Mm, is he safe? And the response comes back, no. (laughs) Nobody ever said he was safe. When we come to a text like this, this is sort of what we're reminded of. This is the line of Judah. No one ever said it's safe. Uh, Certainly there is a a reason preachers fail to consistently preach on literal hell. It's hard for us to stomach. It's not like we're trying to be soft. This is difficult to talk about. And if if you find that the picture of an eternity in hell is easy for you to talk about, there's nobody in this room that would say that. For all of us. Our Larry Moyer thinks about literally what it might mean for people to die and go to hell and that hell is real. That God is great and hell is real. This is his quote. Imagine your friend in hell. Because you know, we, we, we always think of like, well, you know, hell's kind of this place. And the devil's got the pitchfork and he's kind of poking us. But we get a cigarette break every now and then. We're hanging out with other people. and all. Listen, none of that. Imagine your friend in hell, isolated, burning, thirsting in a dark, empty, sulfuric space. He longs for a touch, cries out for relief, craves one sip. He yearns to die, but cannot. He searches for a face, a sound, anything. He recalls every missed opportunity, every relationship, every rejection. A scream pierces the air, and he discovers it is his own. He is in hell. If when you hear this, and certainly when I preach it, there's something that could be considered close to fear, that's right. That's that's Luke 12, 5. I'll show you who to fear. Horrifying. And it's it's disturbing to even preach on. And so it's no wonder that uh, many of us, to kind of deal with this, because it's so terrifying, we do a couple things. One is we stop our ears or we quit preaching about it. But more likely is we kind of know what's out there. We just sort of choose not to believe it. We choose not to believe it. And so how do I get us to believe in this literal hell and the seriousness of why we should talk about Jesus with confidence? We talk, even if you do it badly, like the guy on the plank, just sort of, I'm getting across. Even if you're just saying, I just got to get this message out there. I'm not going to do it well, but I'm just going gonna, gonna to do it badly. I'm going to do it poorly because this is so serious. Uh, how do I get people to do that? Of all places, I found the most interesting ally. To try to talk about uh, the reality of hell, the greatness of God, of all places, I found the most interesting ally. And it's uh, this atheist, this like, like avowed atheist. And his name is Penn Gillette. He's part of a Vegas magic act called Penn and Teller. Penn's the guy who talks all the time. Teller's real quiet. They have a very inappropriate TV show on a network. Uh, now, now, Penn Gillette, uh does these shows all the time, and apparently somebody comes up to him after the show. This man came up to him and had one of those little Gideon Bibles, you know, just a little New Testament. It had the Psalms and Proverbs in it, right? And uh, uh, he gives it to him, and he had written, and Gillette t- Penn Gillette tells the whole story, and uh, uh, he had written in there a note, hey, you know, here's a, one of my favorite scriptures. I hope you'll read it. And he put his email, if you ever want to talk about this stuff, you know, but he waited in line, really enjoyed the show. Pendulette makes the point over and over again. This was not a crazy guy. This was not a creep. You know, this is a very normal, well-spoken, complimentary man. He's a businessman, you know, whatever. 
And uh, he did a webcam. Pendulet does these uh, webcams after the shows a lot of times. He's just kind of unwinding. He'll talk about the show. He'll talk about it. And so the guy gives him the Bible and says, listen, I'm a Christian. And I guess what I'm trying to do is, is proselytize here. Ha, ha, ha. And proselytize just means evangelize, share, share my faith, share the gospel. And he said, so quite frankly, you know, just to be honest, I am trying to convert you. That's what this is about. I hope you'll read it. I want you to be converted. I don't want you to be an atheist. Your show is great. You have all this talent. It's from God. You need to be using it for God here, you know, whatever. And you, I mean, everybody was like, oh, like, what's he going to say? You know, is he going to stand up, throw the table over all this stuff? So he does this webcam, he does this, this video, and we've, we've got to switch some things out here, hopefully we'll be able to show it. He does this video, where, and it's not very good quality, it's just a webcam where he's, he's shooting himself, where he responds to his, his view of this guy proselytizing him, of his, you know, of his, hey, what did you think about it when this guy was trying to proselytize you? Let's just see it, it's, it's, it's less than one minute long, not very long at all. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Like, amen, Pendulette, right? He's got the insight that sometimes I don't have. He's saying, Tom, if you really believe it, it's not just, oh, you don't love them enough to share. You must actively hate somebody to know that a bus is coming, or a train, or a bus that can morph in a train, which is even more dangerous. Imagine. It's coming at you. At some point, I'm not worried about offending you anymore. Okay? I'm not worried about your feelings. I'm tackling you. There needs to be a little more tackling going on in our workplaces, right? For young people, this is what I tell them all the time. Young people, listen to me. If you are under the age of, I don't know, um, 80, whatever, young people. <laughs> listen, this is true for adults too. You got a friend that's in substance abuse. You got a friend that's abusing some stuff that's going down a dark road. Uh, the reason you won't get in their face is you're worried about losing their friend. This is especially true in high school and college. You're so nervous. You've got all these insecurities yourself. You, you're, you're looking for friends. You're insecure about this. And the reason you won't get in somebody's face about it is because you're scared of what they'll think about. Listen, you need to love your friend more than you love that friendship. It may cost you that friendship. But you may be spared that friend. That, that friend may live. It's not an easy thing. And if you are a person who has had to make that difficult decision, if you have a loved one who's going through that substance abuse and you got in their face, you stopped enabling them, God bless you. You did the right thing. That is, that is not easy. So let me just encourage you. You did the right thing. You cared more about that person than you did just offending them. It might save their life. You might have saved their life because of your act of boldness. And this is more important than that. That's all. It's just difficult to preach on the reality of hell. It's certainly, I mean, who wants to hear a Larry Moyer quote as you really begin to think about that? You, you, you stop and think. You just think for three minutes about hell. And it beca- you realize this is not a game. We have to be talking about Jesus. Uh, so God is great and hell is real. And then out of nowhere, 
okay? Uh, I'll show you who to fear. And then out of nowhere, verse 6, I love this. So God is great. Hell is real. Hey, aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? And by now the disciples are like, I, I guess. I, what? Like, is this the biggest non sequitur or what? You know, God is great. Hell is real. You should fear the one who can throw body and soul into hell. Hey, what's the going rate right now for sparrows? Anybody? Well, Jesus, I don't know the conversion rate of sparrows. And, what's he talking about? I don't, I never know. <laughs> it's not a non sequitur, I believe. It's not, it's not. It makes perfect sense. Why? Don't you see? It's the greatness of God. And if all we had was the greatness of God, it would just be terror. It would be fear. But he's great and, you ready? And good. And that's why it's not, it's not a non sequitur at all. He's saying, fear the one who could throw body and soul in heaven. He has authority. And listen, that one with all that authority, that lion of Judah, that one with the teeth and the claws, he's not safe. C.S. Lewis says, no, Aslan's not safe. But he's good. And that's what he's pointing out. Hey, yet not one of them's forgotten in God's sight. Next verse. Verse 7. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. This is the Hebrew logic of arguing from the lesser to the greater, right? He's saying, listen, if a sparrow is sold five sparrows for two cents, okay? And I'm not good at fractions, but that means it's not, they're not worth much. Sparrows are worthless. I know I'm going to get an email from the Sparrow Defense Society. They're going to like type it out with their beak, you know. They're effectively worthless. You know, they cost two cents, which two cents, it doesn't even equal two cents. The copper's worth more. My point is, uh, and God knows every one of their names. That's Timmy, Birdie, knows knows the names, every one of them. Isn't that something? And you're worth worth a lot more than a sparrow. And he knows the number of hairs on your head. See, he loves you. The the details he loves. Everybody understand that? The great and the good. Why is that so important? If all we had was a God that was great, we would be consumed in his wrath. We would be consumed in his passion. You with me? If all we had was a God that was safe, who knows? If we could trust him, maybe the demons are more powerful, right? We kind of want that roaring light. We're going to need those teeth when the evil things come. So we need, but, but, but if, we, if we have the greatest one in the universe, we'll be consumed. If all we, has, if, if all we have is the goodness, who knows? We might be overtaken by evil. And so our God is both great and good. It's his holiness and his wrath and all this burning hell. On the one hand, you go, oh, this, how can this align with a loving God? And I'm saying, how can it not? He's great and good. And hasn't he been good in your life? I mean, can't you testify to that? That, yes, he does inspire fear and reverence, but that same awesome power is working in us and through us. The next verse, he talks about disowning. I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Uh, That's verses 8 and 9. Now, I... uh, uh, so if we deny Jesus, he's going to deny us. If we acknowledge Jesus, he's going to acknowledge us. I, okay, this is an important lesson, but I don't think it's what these scriptures are saying. I don't think that means if you've ever said that you don't know Jesus, you're going to be bound for eternal hell. Like, like um, you know, say tomorrow morning, I'm going down on my building. My elevator's like notoriously slow, and I'm on the seventh floor, and somebody gets on the sixth floor, and they, they start up a conversation like, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, it's Monday. You know, every preacher retires on Monday, every Monday, and start again. Uh, I, I don't want to talk about it. I'm exhausted. And so if I just look at him, I'm like, 
I speak. I'm a speaker. I'm a professional speaker. I speak. Right? And they ask me on what? Like a motivational speaker. Okay, right? I just don't want to deal with it. You know? Does that mean that when I get to heaven, they'll be like, Jesus, you know this guy? Jesus will be like, I knew Tom, the preacher of the gospel, but this guy's just a speaker, I guess. He's just a speaker. I don't know no speaker. I knew the one I called to preach, but I guess he says he's a speaker. I guess he's a speaker. Now, listen, that's convicting, and that's an important lesson. I don't want you to not take that lesson, but I don't think that's what he's saying. Why? Because here, when it talks about acknowledging Jesus, confessing Jesus, this is the exact same word. Whoever denies, see verse 9? Whoever denies me before men. Do you know where we see that exact same Greek verb, denies? Peter. He does it not just once, not just twice, but three times. And, and according to all the jokes I've heard, Peter's not only in, but he's actually the gatekeeper. That like, let's, my, my point is, Peter's in. So what happens? Well, this, this idea of confessing and denying has to do with, with confessing Jesus as Lord. And he's saying, for everyone who doesn't confess me as Lord, how can I confess you as my child? You didn't confess me. For, uh, I could give you several verses. I could do it real quick. First John two twenty two. Who's the liar? Is it not the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah or Jesus is the Christ? Okay. No one who denies the Son can have the Father, and he who confesses the Son has the Father as well. In other words, confessing Jesus as Lord, a la Romans 10, is what this is talking about. Again, in 1 John, who is the one who conquers the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? All right? Uh, and that's what it's talking about. That means we need to be giving as many people as possible the chance to confess Jesus as Lord. Verse 10, just to clear up, I hope I can do it quickly. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Uh, some people worry, even Christians worry, what if I've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit and I didn't know? What if I've accidentally done this sin? I don't think this is a sin you can accidentally do. I don't know everybody's viewpoint on this particular verse, but they call this the unforgivable sin or the unpardonable sin. Let me tell you what I think this verse means. I and mean, have always believed this verse to mean. That uh, uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit who can draw you. Like when I'm preaching, right, some people are disengaged, but some people engage. That's not, the, that's not the skill of my words. That's the Holy Spirit drawing them. The old timers said the Holy Spirit's knocking at your heart's door, right? And, and if you continually reject the Holy Spirit, if you say no, sometimes this amazing thing happens where you get another chance. Right? And sometimes you get another chance. If you continually reject the Holy Spirit, that's, that's blasphemy. That's saying, no, God, you're not God. I'm God. That is blasphemy. It's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit's call to salvation. How can you be saved if you don't receive the good news of salvation? That's what I've always believed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit to be. So it's not something you can do accidentally. It's something that people do as a pattern of continually rejecting the Holy Spirit's call on their life. What else is there but perdition? If you refuse to receive the call to salvation. And then the last thing, the last verses. Uh, Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities and your coffee pot and your uh, water cooler and your dorm room at school, right? All these places. Don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. I could probably preach a long time on this, but uh, probably just be faster if uh, you just sort of, let's take a vote by nodding. Um, has anybody ever had the experience where you had no idea what you were going to say and you got asked a question and this was like all your fears at once? You might as well have been on a plank 55 stories up in the air and you're there in front of everybody and you said, you know what? I don't care. I'm just going to talk about God. And something came out and you're like, where was that from, right? Uh, that was Luke 12:12. Uh, 12, 12. Just show of nodding. Do I need to preach on that or can we just look around at all these nods? That's happened. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't train. That doesn't mean preachers should be like, 
You know, I could prepare a good sermon, but uh, let's see. All right. Today, Job 26. All right, right? No, 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 no not at all. Uh, why? Because the, it's like this. The Holy Spirit will speak. But imagine if you gave him more tools to work with. You know what I'm saying? Like the more scripture you memorize, the more accurately the Holy Spirit can say, ah, I can draw from that. I can draw from that. Why? You've, you've got all these tools in your toolbox. And so I want to close by doing just that. I, Tom Richter, would like to give you, sitting on a hill church member, a tool for your toolbox. Okay, here we go. I put it over here. And then we'll be done. But it, that's, like I said, the goal is like uber practical. So here we go. So this is what you do. <clears throat> My hope, I'll put it up here. Uh, is that uh, perhaps you might even find a piece of scratch paper to follow along with this. You'll be able to practice with me right now. Some of you have paper, uh, and uh, some of you don't. Some of you are looking for the back of a bulletin right now. That's fine. Others of you, I noticed, have notebooks, and there are people around you with no paper. You know, you could share, because Jesus wants us to share, right? And you can't find a pen, and some of you are already thinking, like, can I scratch it in? Uh, I hope you'll follow along. This is the way you can explain the gospel. What is the content? Okay, Tom, you're telling me to preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. What are my words? Well, how about this for a tool? There are a million ways to share the gospel. This would just be one. Uh, And the reason I picked this one is it can be explained on a napkin, right? Uh, I have found that uh, Dunkin' Donuts napkins work the best. It's true. (laughs) New Hope runs on Dunkin'. I don't know what city on a hill. Uh, doesn't have to be. You could be at, my point is a lot of people are visual learners. What did I say? You don't get 30 minutes. You don't, you, you can't be like, I'm going to handcuff you to this chair and listen to this podcast. Go, Tim Keller. Go. You, you, you go to jail for that. That's not allowed. But think about, you're always right when you're hanging out with somebody. What do you do? What do you do? You do the same thing I do. You go to a, a, a restaurant. You're at a coffee shop. Or some of you that are into fine dining, you may find yourself at White Castle. <laughs> or some other royal establishment. Uh, at any rate, there's always napkins at these places. And if you have somebody who's a visual learner, uh, you may try something like this. I know for a fact the lechies know this. For some of you, it's review. For others of you, it'll be a helpful tool. And if you don't like this tool, use another tool. But this is one. <clears throat> if you will memorize one verse, it will help you explain this whole tool. So, so what I'll do sometimes is I'll just write one verse on my napkin. And I'll write the verse Romans 6, 23. And because you can't, you know, you're not going to be able to memorize like a million things. So you just, you just write out Romans 6, 23. And the, the reason I picked this one verse is if you'll just go through this piece by piece, you'll sort of, if you, you think, oh, I'll forget something, I'll forget something. You won't forget something because it'll all be right there for you. So Romans 6, 23 says this. For the wages of sin. Now, before I even get into this, let me explain what I always do. Uh, 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 I, I think I said this a couple weeks ago when I was here preaching. No, Nobody really likes to be preached to. I found that. Nobody likes to be preached to, right? Um, you know, I've got this, and you don't have it, and sit down. I'm going to give it to you and all that. Um, but everybody likes when somebody explains something, right? Everybody likes the heart of a teacher. At least I do. And if somebody's passionate about something, it doesn't even matter what it is. You're flipping through the channels, and suddenly it's like, and here's how tennis balls are made. Look, and you're like, oh, I can't get enough. I'm so fascinated. Why? You didn't even know you cared about it. But suddenly, somebody has the heart of a teacher. They're an explainer. And so this is the approach I say. Listen, you may not believe any of this, but so many people don't understand what Christians believe. I would like to show you from the Bible, this is what we believe about salvation, right? I'm just explaining, man. I'm not trying to preach at you. I'm totally trying. But I'm not trying to preach at you. What am I doing? I'm just explaining. And who doesn't like things explained clearly? And on a napkin? Come on. What's better than that? So, so uh, uh, the Bible talks about what? Well, the Bible talks about God, okay? And I just do God. That theos, that's the theology. It's Greek word, whatever. You can write out God. You can draw a bright light, whatever you want to do. 
uh, on a napkin. So I said, God, the Bible talks about the story of God, and it talks about humans. And the Bible says that God created humans. And I'm an artist, so I can do stick figures for days. Ah, I've only got one hand. And, uh, and that's how it works, right? So we have God and we have humans. Now, <clears throat> Romans 6.23 says this. For the wages of sin is death. What? The Bible says there's a problem. Even though you were created in the image of God, Right? Even though things started out good, God looked at creation and said, it is good. And you can go into as much detail on this as you want. The Bible says there's a problem. The wages of sin is death. Now, what is this, what is this wages? Wages is something you get for what you deserve. And when we talk about sin with people, we talk, you know, usually we have to get over the hurdle of, well, sin is what other people have done to me. But we, you know, you can just use the Ten Commandments, for example. You can say, do you ever, do you ever, do you ever lie? I'll say, well, yeah. Do you ever steal? No, I never stole. Yeah, but you just said you were a liar. So you want to rethink that? You know, like you can talk about... These things, and it's helpful, right? Well, I mean, that's what Romans 3 says. It says the law was given to shut the mouth of the sinner. So there has to be a little, you know, mouth shutting. And you don't have to shut their mouth. You can just tell that story. You know, my preacher tells a story about how everybody sinned, right? If you just broke three commandments a day and lived an average lifespan, that's 80,000 commandments. Like, what do you want? We've all sinned. Isaiah 59 says, uh, the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. The ear of the Lord is not too dull to hear. But your sins have separated you from God. And that's where I put this separation like a cliff, okay? Here's you. You're hanging out on this cliff. And God, look, 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 look. And there's this chasm, right? And we can't get there. So you just draw that. Now, now look, like the wages of sin is death. Now, death doesn't just mean physical death. Death means, in the Bible, death means the cessation or the reversal of life. It's not the, it's not the, 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 the death is not the end of existence. Death is the end of fellowship with God. It's the end of relationship with God, right? I mean, even when, even when people die, the Bible teaches they go on existing in heaven or in hell. And that's what the Bible says the wages of sin is. The wages of sin is death. Now, sometimes there's some pushback. Well, I'm a good person and, you know, and I, I've done good. And I always say, well, all right, on a scale of 1 to 10, how, how sure would you be that you're, that you're going to cross this great divide? You know, if everybody can see, I'll turn it. You know, how, how, on a scale of 1 to 10. And most people are humble. Nobody's going to say 10, you know, except for, you remember Bloomberg a couple weeks ago? He's like, I'm not even stopping to be interviewed. I'm going right in. For, anyway, oh, okay, you didn't. Uh, but most people don't say 10. They'll say, well, seven. And I'm like, man, a seven's good, but it's not a 10. The Bible says that all, in Romans 3.23, for example, all fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. And that's when I start sending people off this cliff. I'm like, listen, every religion in the world is man's attempt to get to God, and it just falls short. That's what the Bible teaches. And I've sent so many people off this cliff on so many napkins around the country. I've sent poor Mother Teresa off the cliff. I've sent Billy Graham off the cliff. I say, who's, who's your favorite Christian? Well, my grandma. Man, I'm sorry. Your grandma is not a good jumper, right? Like, not going to happen, you know? And why? Why? It's not, the problem is not because you're not really moral. Some of you are really moral. And the thing is, you compare morality to everybody else. But the standard for God is is perfect. And it's, it's the word righteousness. And sometimes we'll even talk about the word righteous. Okay. And righteous means perfect. Perfect. Morally perfect. And some people say, well, that's not fair. Why would God make the standard for heaven perfect? It's like, duh, because he wants heaven to be a perfect place. Look, if the standard to get into heaven was just be really, really good, then heaven would be filled with really, really good people. We got that already. That's called New Jersey. We were hoping for New Jerusalem. Okay, we don't, want, we don't want really, really good. We've got really, really good. We tried that. What we want is perfect. That's why the standard is perfect. To me, it makes total sense. What kind of heaven do you want? 
Well, we got a heaven where God kind of graded on the curve, and he let the 90s in, then the 89s, then the 10s, then the .1 criminal on death row, on a roundup. Like, what do you want, man? The standard is perfect, and we're not there. And when people say, well, nobody's perfect, I always go, huh, that's so funny. That's exactly what Romans 3 says. There's none righteous, no, not one. I mean, not even one person that you are preaching my sermon. I mean, nobody seeks after God perfectly. I'm like, Broseph, you are preaching my sermon, right? That's exactly what Romans 3 says. There is no one perfect, no one who does good, no one, okay? And then this is the best part. The wages of sin is death, but look. But the gift of God, sorry, God. That means gift, and I always talk about that. That means a free gift. Gift of God is eternal life. When we couldn't get to God, when we couldn't get to God, the good news says God has offered a gift, and that gift is eternal life. But it's still, we're not righteous. How does it work? How does all this work? Through, can I just pretend we're texting and I'll abbreviate this? So I don't, through, LOL, Jesus Christ our Lord. If you want to say Jesus Messiah, that's fine. Same thing, Jesus Christ our Lord. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That means this. When we could not get to his righteousness, and really every religion in the world is trying to do this. I know Buddha doesn't have a personal God, but even they're trying to get on the noble eightfold path to, you know, becoming uh, uh, the right kind of person. Uh, in, in some form or fashion, every religion in the world is doing this. And God says, that hasn't worked. You have never gotten righteous. And so God has made a way wherein righteousness would come to us. And that's Romans chapter 3, verse 21. It says, but now a righteousness from God has been made known apart from the law to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is through faith in, here it is, Jesus Christ. He was the atoning sacrifice. And what I tell people, and this is where I get a little loud and the waitress in White Castle is like listening in by now and every, right? This is where I get pretty pumped up. I'm like, listen, listen, all we would need, all we would need to be saved, all we would need as humanity, nobody's been able to do it. Adam and Eve couldn't do it. Israel couldn't do it. All we would need would be one person. We would just need one human being who could accurately and perfectly live a righteous life all it would take would be one person who could do this only one person who as a human could get to god and we got one in our hero jesus christ he lived the life we should have lived he lived perfect righteousness before god but that doesn't deal with our sin problem the wages of sin is still death so not only did he live the perfect life on the cross, okay, he lived the life we should have lived, but he, then he died the death we should have died. He was our Passover lamb. He was sacrificed for our sins. We live, he lived the life we should have lived, but failed to. And he died the sinner's death, right? And so he, the cross is the bridge of this great divide. You ever heard that old saying, right? There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bridge that can cross the great divide. The cross is the bridge, you see? It's called the bridge diagram. So you say, okay, so what does it mean that righteousness comes to us? Well, he lived the life we should have lived to represent us to God. He died the death we should have died. And then on the third day, okay, here it is. On the third day, the tomb was empty. He's alive. In every other religion, it's just follow these good teachings. Follow, these good, follow this prophet. In Christianity, God has come to us so that we can be with God forever. And we follow a risen Savior, a person. He's alive. And he invites you not to follow a bunch of teachings. He invites you to follow him. A personal relationship with Jesus. That's what Christianity teaches. That's what Christians believe. That's the gospel. You can do that on a napkin. If you say, I can't remember any of that, just go, uh, okay, uh, uh, 
uh, cross. Right? Do it badly. You know what I heard Kevin DeYoung say last week? If you don't like my method of sharing the gospel, if that's cheesy to you and that's corny, do your own method. But I heard Kevin DeYoung, it's a great line. He goes, you know what? I like my method of sharing the gospel a whole lot better than your method of not sharing the gospel. Do it badly. Just do it. You know why? Because you're not the only one talking in that moment. Don't you know that? You're not the only one talking in that moment. The Holy Spirit's going, will somebody just be available? Will somebody just be a mouthpiece? I'm looking for bad preachers, if that's all I can get. Just somebody, tell somebody that. Do it on a napkin. God's like, I provided you White Castle. (laughs) What more, right? He's done it all. Just tell the good news. Tell it. And do it with confidence. If you don't like that method, pick another method. I know that method, James Lecce's used that a lot. I'm sure others have. It's, a, it's old, tried and true, whatever works for you. Uh, the band's going to come back up and help us respond. I, um, as they're coming, I just think about, you know, something that would, uh, something I thought about. Do you, do you remember the person that shared Jesus with you? What do you think about them? You know? What do you think about the person who shared Jesus with you? Um. You're going to be that for somebody else by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine being in heaven and somebody's there in heaven because you shared on a napkin? Can you imagine what that glorified napkin is going to look like in the new heaven and the new earth? Because you know it's not going to be destroyed. That's a work that glorified God. That won't be consumed in the fire. Can you imagine my White Castle napkin in heaven? (laughs) All glory to God. All glory to God, right? Look at what he can do. It's not that hard. It's not that difficult to have a heart of an explainer and to explain. Pastor Tom, can yeah. I interrupt you oh, before yeah, we yeah, go yeah. to yeah. the That's table? That's it. I'm, I'm done. It's no interruption. Could we possibly open the floor yeah. for a few questions pertaining exactly oh, yeah. to what you have been sharing on? Certainly. I love questions. Why don't we do that? Um, does anybody right now off the top of your head? Can, you can hear. Yeah, let, let's... Uh, Okay. You yeah. got a question? Good. Go ahead, John. Use your question. Um, I'll start off. Yeah. Um, Tom, so I, I've had some of these discussions with some people, and yeah, I yeah. had one recently, not recently, last year or so, and it was one online, and it kind of took me back a step for a second, because, um, you know, in these arguments, there's always assumptions, right? Everybody makes assumptions. And yeah, so yeah. one of the things that totally threw me off was when you start with this, well, you know, there's heaven and hell and that eternal life, and this yeah. person started from the premise of, well, there really isn't any hell because Jesus made this up and, you know, he's giving me all this historical fact about, well, you know, there's this garbage place and they used to dump all this stuff in and historically you look at it. Yeah. Right. And he's like, he was really just using this as an example. He didn't really mean it's an actual hell. And, and so when you get that argument, you start to go, well, where do you go with this from here now? Because sure. if they're going to tell you there's no hell, they're not afraid of anything. They don't believe anything you say from that point. It was like right up front. You're like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. A great question, and I think we've all been there. And uh, that, that's why I always lean real heavy on. Like, I'm always preaching, and I always find myself in these weird situations. Colleges lately have asked me to come in and speak. And they're usually at, like, Hunter or Baruch or City College, and they're like, we want you to talk, or St. John's. Oh, and by the way, there's only going to be, like, five Christians. It's just mostly, like, a secular audience. So, you know, open the Bible. And, and I'm like, you know, and, and, it's, and we talk a lot. And that's why I always start. I'm like, you are not going to believe any of this. Because our presumptions are so different. That's why I always try to come clean at the beginning. So my job is to explain what we believe. And to do that, you have to allow all these presumptions and we talk about. Then later, we can, we can fight that out over which presumption. We, we can back up. But you can't do it all in one conversation. So what, what I try to tell people is, hey, suspend your presumptions. If you will grant me, I, for example, I believe that there's a God. 
I believe. And a lot of people would stop me right there. But instead of ending the conversation, I'll say, you know, I, I will like to listen to what, you know, your version. But again, the role is explaining. If you go in as persuader, you're stuck, I feel like. And there's no way out. If you go in as explainer, you're like, oh, yeah, we don't agree on all kinds of things. There's, think, there's lots we don't. I think yeah. your distinction this morning is something we all need to take away is that it, it, the distinction between, like you just said, trying to explain versus this is what we believe. Yeah. You know, and we base it on the Bible. And you could t- throw the Bible out. You could say, I don't believe it. Okay. Sure, sure. But this is, you're asking me to explain what we believe. There's a difference. Sure. Right? And then you're set up, I think, for future conversations when they say, well, this is what I believe. I say, well, I have the Bible. What are you, what are you, what are you going, going off of? Well, that's kind of what I think. Oh, well, I'll take my chances with the Bible. Amen. Yeah. Is there somebody else that has a question about what we just heard this morning? Things you've heard. People have said to you. Don't, don't all go deer in the headlight now. Come on, you've, you've had these conversations. People have asked you things. What, what would you, how about, Tom, how about, um, um, what about all those people who have never heard about Jesus? Yeah. The people yeah, on the yeah. other side of the, of the planet that have never heard about him. Yeah. You're going to tell me they're all going to go to hell? Yeah, I, I would say, uh, are these, tell me about these people. Are these, are these good people? Are they, uh, I mean. A lot of good people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good people. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. If, if there's a truly good person who's never heard about Jesus, they go to heaven. Absolutely. They go to heaven. To which everybody's like, mm-hmm. wait, what? I was like, you just said, if there's a truly good person, right? If there's a truly righteous person, you see where I'm going, uh, that's never heard about Jesus, they get in because they're truly righteous. Here's the problem. Okay. There is none who are truly righteous. And what I start is your presupposition is we're all, new, not your, yes, but that person's yes, presupposition yes. is we're all kind of neutral. It doesn't seem fair that like some people get the good news and some people don't. It's just kind of who's heard. According to John 3, we are all under the active condemnation of God. That's where we start out. Okay, we are under the wrath of God. So God would be unfair if he saved one. The fact that he saved two. God's on a mission to save as many as he can. And that presupposition loses a little of its, of its weight when we think about that person who's never heard the gospel. is a guilty sinner before God but under his act of condemnation. Which is also why, and this is where I'm talking to the church, like, this is why churches go crazy on missions. This is why we want every man, woman, boy, and girl to hear the gospel. This is why I'm going to Bangladesh in November. Like, literally, so that that scenario doesn't happen. We also don't know in the mystery of God who, well... I'll save that one. I mean, if you, if you yeah, really want yeah, like an uber yeah. technical one, yeah. you can say, we don't know in the mystery of God, perhaps God knew who was going to respond if they did hear. And the people, only the people who've heard have responded. That one gets uber technical. And I don't necessarily, I wouldn't start with that one because it's too clouds the issue. But what it does is it at least opens the possibility that, oh, well, I never thought mm-hmm. about that. You know, what's, what's the guarantee? Maybe God, maybe God designs a world wherein he could save as many as possible. He wants as many children as possible. And to do that would be, certain casualties in the mystery of the election of God. I don't forget. I said all that, but, uh, the point is, uh, that, uh, we, the, if the presumption is we're all good, well, that's not fair, but if we're all under the act, we are currently standing condemned already. Jesus says, then it's just a matter of getting the gospel out to as many as we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what, that's my response. Yeah. Right. Yep. Anita over there. John, can you get her a mic? Sometimes I find that um, a very awkward situation will happen when we're talking about faith with someone who doesn't believe, and it's always when they say, do you mean to tell me that my super sweet grandmother or aunt or a family member or someone who has passed isn't in heaven? And that's where I, it's very awkward, and, and they don't really want to hear anything, and I kind of, it's 
for me, that's mm-hmm. a really hard situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm, a, I'm a pragmatist. I'm a guy who's, re- I'm just like, I'm the guy on the plank just getting across. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm a practical person. In that moment, this is what goes on in my thought. Your great-grandmother's not here, yeah. but you are. And so I'm trying to keep that from being a distraction and bring it here. So my line is, because it's perfectly true, but I don't want to distract, is, you know what? Only God can judge your great-grandma. I'm not her judge. And that's a good thing that I'm not her judge. Uh, we, we don't know. But the only one we can know about is our own story. Now we're back to you. Let, you know, let's talk our story. My, I'm just trying to, I know I don't have an hour with this person or whatever. I just try to sidestep that whole awkwardness and say, because it's true, only God can judge. I don't know. Who knows at the last moment that super sweet grandma, you know, may have uttered the words of, G, you know, uh, uh, confess, believe in her heart. We just don't know. Um, but, but you, as you pointed out, it's the awkwardness and the distraction that then keeps us from like, but she's not here. You are like, don't, you know, um, so that, that's, that's yeah. my yeah. Response. Yeah. I hope that's not Anybody slick. Else? I mean, you know, what, you know what else about that one, Tom? Okay, my is, last uh, question. If you, oh. I just want to throw this out. If, okay. If you, if, the other thing about that is if, if it is true what we're telling you, don't you think that relative would want you to listen? They'll believe, right? I mean, yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. if it really is true. Yeah. And even if they didn't, you know, believe. Right. They probably would want you to believe because you still are here, like you said. You still have Right. Yeah. Last yeah. one. Yeah. Is it possible that um, the name of God for us in the Western civilization is Jesus, but they have d- different names for him and Eastern civilizations and other parts of the planet? Huh. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think that that sort of gets to the, well, we're all going to the same place and all that. Yeah. I, I would say, uh, you know, to that person... You know, your heart's in the right place, probably. I mean, these are good people. That, and I would, I would try to find some... We were all ground. one of those people at one time in our lives, right? <laughs> exactly. I would try to start with some common ground and say, listen, if you're asking me, don't you want universalism to be true? Yes. Like, what kind of, like, cold-hearted person? Does you know? everybody know what universalism oh, oh, is? Oh, sorry. The belief that everybody's going to get in in the end. Everybody. It's like, well, yeah, I guess at first glance I would, I would want that uh, to be true. Yeah. Well, yes. But some of it goes back. But then I would just say, you know... What you're saying is great, but even what you're saying, you need to check your own Western background in saying that. Um, there are Muslims who wouldn't be happy at all if you told them, oh, you were just all along an anonymous Christian. You didn't know that? You just, you just, call, they'd be, tell a Muslim that all along he's been an anonymous Christian. Like, he, he'd be furious with that, right? Sure. And then a, a Buddhist or whatever who would say, I don't even believe in a personal God. Like, so, I mean, just the, the slightest nudge toward a little bit of research of that claim, you'd find that everybody, nobody wants to be, uh, uh, told, well, yeah, you guys are all saying the same thing. You're just believing different. It's like none of us believe that, yes. you know. And so uh, that, that's always my answer to that. It's just sort of imagine a panel discussion of the coexist bumper sticker, and you'll find that all those coexistents are looking at you, going, "You're not, you're not treating us fairly. You're, mm. you're not, you're not treating us accurately. Mm. You're just sort of inventing this whole new Western thing, and that's just as unfair and intolerant." Yes. Yes. Good answer. Yeah. Okay. Well, give helps. me a little time to think about it. Yep. And uh, we're going to bypass the Lord's table this morning. I don't want to rush it. And we're going to have a song uh, as we close the meeting. But I want to give you a chance to think when you go home today. Uh, to give us, you can, you can call the office. Or, I mean, how will they do that, Joanne? Just on there, send an email to the, uh, just send an email. And uh, we'll get your question. And then maybe next week when Tom comes back, you've had a chance to think about it. And uh, we'll ask uh, Pastor Tom again to give us a few, uh, give us some time with some, answer some of our questions, okay?
So, I mean, we do need tools. How many know we do need tools, right? Amen. We're so glad. Tom, come up and pray. Yeah, let's, let's do just that. Father, <clears throat> thank you for the good news, and I pray that we would be available this week to share it. And God, I know that uh, there are some who are going to find themselves at coffee and the conversation is going to lead to spiritual things and it will not be a coincidence. And I pray we're ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. I pray that every conversation would be seasoned with the gospel. And I pray, like St. Francis said, that, that we, we wouldn't always use words, but that our life would demonstrate. But when words are necessary, I pray we would uh, share with confidence that we'd have a little more content to go on. God, grant us grace. We know that every time we preach, we are not alone, that you are speaking and that, God, you have promised to be with us to the ends of the earth and that people are not rejecting us. Uh, we're just the explainers. We're the door holders. We're the messengers. We're the, we're the people pointing. It's all of you. And so, God, draw our hearts as we sing this song to you. Draw our hearts back to you. Let us point our hearts to you. Let us just be like the moon reflecting the sun's light to this lost and dying world that we love because you love. These are our friends. These are our neighbors. These are people we love and we care about. We don't hate people. We don't want them to go to hell. So fill us with your love as we reflect and we worship you, as we sing to you and celebrate you in song, that the ends of the earth might hear the good news. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.